0: When I was 20 years old, I was a student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and it was there that I was introduced to many authors that I would soon realize were actually not authors, but oracles. Oracles who would really help me, as a young Black woman, tap into sacred energy that's ancestral, sacred energy that's healing, sacred energy that's creative energy. I took a class that was taught by Sweeney Madison that was a performance studies class, but was really magic. And in that class, she introduced me again to Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, Gloria Naylor, Gwendolyn Brooks. She carved pathways for me to meet Octavia Butler, Alexis Pauline Gumbs, Adrienne Marie Brown, and Jackie Shelton Green. Every time I've been in space with Jackie Shelton Green, She has dropped blessings into my lap like ripe mangoes. And (laughs) I don't even know what I did to be blessed with her as a friend and a mentor, but I'm so glad I did it. There are spaces that we hold together where she calls forth specters that resembles my own shadow. And she reminds me that I have no choice but to knit myself back together with the medicine that's never left me. It really sits inside of my body and is waiting for release. It's critical. It illuminates. We have to remember that. Jackie is an oracle who lives in spaces, pulls out truths, interwines narratives, and provides poetry for this life. I feel very blessed to have her in my life, reminding me that that poetry and that creativity and those words heal me and heal my soul. They break those generational curses they remind me that my ancestral through line is safe and intact. Give thanks for the Oracle. My name is Omishade Bernie Scott, and this is the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. Introducing North Carolina Poet Laureate, Jackie Shelton Green. So, Mama Jackie. Yes, I'm a shot <laughs> Thank you for agreeing to one do this interview again. So there are some folk who were waiting with bated breath for our first interview. Like I had put it out, I was like, "Oh my God, this is gonna be the best conversation ever." It was the best conversation ever, ever. and I feel like the universe and the ancestors were
1: like, "That was just for y'all." Yeah, but I think. The ancestors intervened on that one mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and said, okay, now what is the public version? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's right. <laughs> to protect the innocent? <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's,
0: I think that's right. So we are here for um, round two of the Jackie Omi show. Mm-hmm. And I want to kick us off with this question because we were literally just talking about a person we have in common, Dr. Lee Green, mm-hmm. who was one of my professors at unc chapel hill when i was a student in the 80s but this is about oracles so here's the question
1: mm-hmm.
0: though lee green introduced me to mama tony morrison through blue's eye it was so madison mm. who pulled me through a portal and so when i think about the oracles who were introduced to me when i was like 19 20 21 years old Tony Morrison, Gloria Naylor, Alice Walker, reintroduced to Gwendolyn Brooks in a different way. Mm-hmm. We read Maud Martha. I had never mm-hmm. heard of Maud Martha right. before in my entire life. Mary West.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's... All these that's women. That's when you don't hear it. yeah.
0: Yeah, all these women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think about where I'm sitting right now, next to who I consider a personification of an oracle. I wonder, who were the oracles that you were introduced to mm. when you were
1: a young woman that let you know that you too were going to walk that path? Perhaps the most prolific person was Audre Lord, mm-hmm. Alice Walker, Sonia Sanchez. These are the women when I was very, very young I was reading. Uh, Nikki Giovanni, mm-hmm. uh, all these people I would meet when I was very, very young. and was in total, in just total awe of them. Mm-hmm. But they had already, stretch the portal, Mm -hmm. if I can use that metaphor, they had already stretched that portal and actually validated for so many women of my generation that we were worthy to step inside of of Mm -hmm. that space. Mm -hmm. And I think that what was happening when we were all, when I was reading African American literature, but specifically African American women, is... I didn't really have a frame of reference for it in the context of my everyday life. And these writers just put a mirror up to my everyday life and showed me that I was living the stories they were writing. Mm -hmm. And for every character in A Beloved or Bluest Eye or in the instance of Zora Neale Hurston, I knew those characters. Mm -hmm. And some of those characters were women around me, women in my family. I remember reading uh, Gloria Naylor's, oh, what was that Mama, Not, Mama, Mama Day. Mama Day. And Mama Day, mm-hmm. I felt like someone had laced me up in a straitjacket. That was the effect that Mama Day had on me and Temple of My Familiar. Yes, yes. And I remember my cousin, who's a librarian, she was calling me. She said, I know you love this book because it don't make no sense to me. <laughs> what the hell are these blank pages? <laughs> I was like, but that's the story. Right. And we weren't comfortable with the blank pages. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these people weren't writers. They were just women in my life who I knew, mm-hmm. who, who knew the stories of those who'd walk before them. Like my grandmother and understood the value of continuing to tell and tell and mm-hmm. tell and tell and to tell me that's your job mm-hmm. your job is to do nothing but tell mm-hmm. truth teller shapeshifter in your truth telling because sometimes you have to shape shift in order to tell the truth to a multitude of people right you know you mm-hmm. can't always be that voice for the for the people you talked to yesterday mm-hmm. you might have to shape shift to be that same truth for your tomorrow Tuesday's mm-hmm. audience that's right and I think part of that comes from growing up in the rural South mm-hmm. growing up in the rural South understanding the codes of silence the language of silence um, things that are lost in translation and silence because mm-hmm. people are afraid of the silence and how silence is what governed our lives mm-hmm. during reconstruction during the Civil Rights Movement, Mm -hmm. and most definitely now. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking a little while ago about the strife of black people in Durham. Mm. And I think it is fear. I think it is fear. I think it is the lack of understanding of how you trust. Sometimes we have to be quiet. Mm. Sometimes we just have to trust that no language is the language Mm. that sometimes the statement that's required is the absence Mm -hmm. of speaking Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that too is a narrative Mm -hmm. and it's sad to to see the internal power plays and the internal how we've internalized self-hate and unworthiness how we've allowed a culture to to define mm-hmm. certain countenances that should be an eight right and we've lost them i
0: feel like oftentimes people who identify as being women absorb so much of that like this this fiery fearful energy gets pulled inside of our bodies and i Really appreciated you reminding us at North Star when you did church and you said to us, we have medicine inside our bodies that is, you said it was dark and thick like blood. And I I just, like, I felt like you snatched, (laughs) I feel like you snatched all the air out of my body when you said that. I was like, oh, oh.
1: And people reject. And run from their own medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much dis- disease because of our dis-ease with living. Mm-hmm. We've forgotten how to be alive. Mm-hmm. We live in a culture that's so socially, culturally, politically toxic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think women, when I think of women, women to me, we're like the ground that everybody needs to stand on. Mm. And I didn't say step on Mm-hmm. That everybody needs to stand on. We hold it up. Mm-hmm. We hold up entire universes, um, and that's when we talk about, you know, self care. Such a buzz now. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to talk about self care, self care, but we're still not stepping into self care. Because if we were really stepping into self care, and understanding how to be still. Because life is about being and not doing all the time. We would be healthier. Yeah. Our medicine would be free. Our medicine would be flowing. Mm -hmm. You know, even I I look at all of the the new age healers now, they're so expensive. They are. And healers, true healers, don't charge money, Mm -hmm. they accept gifts.
0: Right. It's like, an yeah, energetic exchange.
1: Energetic um, exchange. It's a bartering process sometimes. Yeah. I was talking to a sister the other day, and she had this amazing painter, and I'm not going to mention the famous artist. I mean, she, this is like multi-million dollar mm-hmm. painting right now, and I was like, "Is that real?" Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Yeah." And I just she said, "She said it's a long story." And a long process of doing work with this person and bartering, mm. and bartering, and bartering. So we've forgotten that we are a people of a multitude of currencies. Yes, we have so much currency. Yes, that we don't use, and when we do use it, we tend to bankrupt ourselves, <laughs> spiritually, emotionally, even physically. When I look at what we're holding in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how we we're burying our children. Mm-hmm. We we're burying our communities. Mm-hmm. The medicines is getting buried too.
0: yeah, there was um a post I read last week there are, are folk who have been exploring marine mammals mm-hmm. and what we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I saw a post last week. It was either Alexis or Adrian Marie Brown. I don't remember if it was Alexis Pauline or or Adrian, but they were talking about a particular dolphin mm-hmm. that's native to the coast of North Carolina that created a dorsal fin. To stabilize itself, right? Like it, it wasn't like it wasn't something, you know. We talk about the evolutionary destiny of different creatures or species, and if you go back and you look right. at the fossils and you say, "Oh, well, there was evidence that this bump that became a dorsal fin was already there in their right. cartilage, and that somehow it evolved." Mm-mm. This dolphin shape-shifted, right, to create stability and, and I think and survival, and I feel like women. We have the
1: ability to shapeshift, and we often shapeshift. It's a universe of knowledge. Mm-hmm. if, But how many of us are really tapping into the natural world? How mm-hmm. many of us go to the ocean anymore? How many of us can hear the cry mm-hmm. of a sea mammal? Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know it's a cry. How many of us have ever communed in the natural world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know... We see the natural world teaching us how to survive over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, when we see insects that are chameleons. Right. You, you know, you go to touch the leaf and something moves because right. it is the exact same color. I mean, I, you know, this summer and last summer, I encountered so many bugs and insects that I had never, never seen, seen before. in my life. Uh, and some of them were kind of weird looking. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, some of them was like, are you real? Mm. Are you some bio-manufactured experiment? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the natural world going into the wilderness mm-hmm. and stripping. Because the wilderness is a place of vulnerability. Yeah, It's a place where everything is shedding its skins all the time. Where are the
0: places that you feel like you've shed your skin? Different points in your yeah, your it's life. It's
1: places where I feel safe to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That has not always been with my sisters. Mm. That has not always been with male partners or husbands. Mm-hmm. It's always been with my children. Mm. It's always Same. been with mothers and grandmothers yeah
0: why do you think that is i think i know why with the babies and we'll talk about that because we both have babies but i want to know about the mamas and the grandmamas and why you feel like it was okay to shed whatever skins you needed to shed and
1: i don't care how old we get yeah and like i've I've watched elders die Mm. and they you know their bodies curled into back into a fetal position yeah it's like they're going back into a womb
0: yeah
1: and I know that when I'm most vulnerable, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I go into the fetal position. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's where I'm safe. You know, wombs are wet mm-hmm. and warm mm-hmm. and protective. Yeah. You're strong. Yeah. So it's more like what are the wombs I've built around me? Mm-hmm. And, and what have I allowed myself to crawl into them? I'm learning to be more and more vulnerable with women, mm-hmm. and, and with all women, because I think that there's just amazing powerful magic that happens in the company of women, mm-hmm. you know, when women gather. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is, I used to assume that every sister I met, that we share the same frame of reference and context for certain cultural values mm-hmm. or upbringing mm-hmm. and and I was very naive about that. So in doing so, I got injured a lot. I'm sure I injured people because of the assumptions mm-hmm. that I just made. Of like, you know, like you look at a sister, like your sister, you feel me, and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, oh. I'm like, oh, okay. <clears throat> so, is that nonverbal stuff? Yeah, it's that grit you have. When you do meet who looks like a stranger, a a sister comes into your, your sphere, who's a stranger, but she's really tried. It's like the
0: first time we met. I
1: remember I walked into the meeting room and I
0: looked at you and I was like, I know this woman. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: I was like, I know this woman. Yeah. And I said, we've met before, haven't Mm we? And you said, I, yes. We have, mm-hmm. I don't know where, mm-hmm. I don't recall when, but we've met each other before. And and, and during that meeting, there were different moments where in the midst of the conversation, we make eye contact mm-hmm. and there was all kinds of silent mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. going on over the heads of the white folk. Right. Where we were having a sister conversation right. over top of the heads of the white folk. Like, now you know mm-hmm. what that, what he just said mm-hmm. did make mm-hmm. not there a bit of sense. Right,
1: And I'm with them, but I ain't with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the same committee with them, but. Right. Those
0: are not mine. Right. I was like, I see you. And I I felt like you were looking at me like, I I see see you. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's that, and we've talked about this, tribe recognizes tribe. That's right. And I am most happy and most vulnerable when I'm with tribe. Mm -hmm. And I can be unguarded, unplugged, totally vulnerable, totally transparent. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's how we build true authentic community mm-hmm. you know when we allow ourselves to be seen by other women at our best and our worst mm. where we can invite celebration and when women can hold you up in grief yeah you know there were women who ran for me when I when Imani was dying mm-hmm. there were sisters that because they'd always been in my life and I called them best friends and we journeyed to so many different places in our lives, physically and spiritually and emotionally. That I knew they'd be there, yeah. and they were absent. Mm. They were absent. They didn't know how to show up in the grief piece. Yeah. They didn't know how to show up in the grief piece, and you just learn that we're not all wired the same way. No, and I couldn't judge them because. They didn't know how to show up. I knew Did they come back around? Some. Mm-hmm. And then when I got ill myself, mm-hmm. I was definitely ill. 2011 until about 2014, I was mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, my brain wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And I remember when Duke told me I had about four months to live. And I called a sister, who I considered in my sisterhood. And I left a message and I said please call my daughter and my husband. I'm definitely ill. I need to have a conversation with you, and I said I want to see you. Mm -hmm. I'm dying. I'm not too proud to beg. I want you to come visit me. Mm -hmm. That sister never called, Mm -hmm. never returned that phone call. to this day has never acknowledged that I ever Reached out to her.
0: Why do you think that is? What do you think was happening with her when she was looking at you standing at the place where you felt like your mortality was really speaking? What happened? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I think people show up differently, Uh embrace this. The fact that I was pretty academic about it, just like, okay, I'm dying. I need you to come see me. Um, My daughter Imani modeled what transition looked like for me mm. and a very Dignified yeah. if you can use that word. I Don't think any of us really die on our own terms when people say that but Imani Imani lived up to the minute she died That's a beautiful up until thing. the minute she yeah. lived there was life mm-hmm. in her hmm as she was transitioning she was still living. Mm-hmm. She was like, Yeah, I'm I'm crossing over, but I'm still I got one foot over here. As long as this one foot is over here, I'm gonna live it. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm halfway over there, but I'm also over here. Yeah. And I wanted to see my sisters. I wanted them to come hug me. I wanted them to crawl up in the bed with me and pull me to their bosoms and cry with me. Yeah. I wanted them to give me neck massages I wanted them to hold me yeah and it was interesting people who did show up were like new friendships interesting for people that women that I had not known that long mm-hmm. who showed them like I'm here mm-hmm. what, you, what you need mm. I'm here I'm not going anywhere and I'm saying all of this to say I've never I can't judge I don't know mm-hmm. And one of the lessons that my first husband taught me, I used to think that the way I loved was the way to love. <laughs> and it took me about 11 years of marriage to this person to one day mature and say, oh, he just doesn't love the way I love, which does not translate into he does not love me. He loves differently. He loved, That's a huge lesson. I... I <laughs>
0: Jackie. Yeah. so it comes <laughs>
1: back to this question of why the sisters weren't here right. I never doubted that they loved me that never even when a godmother who didn't show up but who did the the morning she died calling call me hysterical from another country screaming and crying and I just handed the phone over just to another relative and I said I can't deal with this girl mm. because I my child just died I am not here to take care of yeah don't don't call me screaming I can't take care of you right now Mm -hmm. and I ended up having to say that to her when she called me a few months later all hysterical and I had to say wait a minute you did not bury your child you did not bury your child Mm -hmm. right now I can't take care of you Mm -hmm. if you need to have these emotional screaming yeah episodes I need you to call somebody else and it took a lot for me to say that because I felt like I was pushing that person away but I was I was hanging on by a thread emotionally yeah and it was the first time that I truly understood what it meant to stand up in your power and take care of yourself yeah because people will strip you bare, intentionally or unintentionally yeah and think back to Sonia Sanchez's book wounded in the arms of a friend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know you may intentionally put a knife through my heart Mm -hmm. it's still a knife and it's still going through my heart Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so inside of all of that I really had to become extremely I don't want to use the word selfish but extremely my shields had to go up Mm. my spiritual shields Had to cover me, Mm -hmm. had to surround me. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I got sick. Yeah. Imani died in 2009, 2011, undiagnosed chronic illness. I'm given four months to live. Yeah. So I had to address a lot of things. And I remember one of my godmothers came to see me and she looked at me and uh, she said, Are you trying to die? Like you have a choice. And she got up and walked out of the house. Oh. And and she called me at night. And she said, "Will you let me know what you're doing. Like like you've lost sixty five pounds. You're not eating. Are you trying to die? What's going on? And only you can answer that. Uh. And I thought, Well, How <laughs> <laughs> abrasive and cold and uh. and then I thought about it and I had to ask myself, Well like do I have the will to live? Apparently, you did. Do I have the? Yeah, but it comes back to I. I think knowing where your love base is, mm. and I think so. So many of us, you know, it's like it's like having the old home phone, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work if you take it two rooms away. Yeah. You got to stay to the from 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 the the base base. from the base. First of all, that's
0: old school. I think some people listening to this will (laughs) not know what the hell you're talking about because there was
1: this YouTube. We still got one of those. You still got a home base. We still have have two phones. You have you have
0: landlines. We
1: have landlines that don't work outside, and the only reason we have landlines (laughs) is my 102 year old mom lives with us. That's right, and and she didn't know anything about cell phones, and so when the landline. Rings. it is from my mom or it's a telemarketer. Got it. But yeah. But
0: that base, if you get too far away from your yeah. base, you lose. So, you can't
1: walk outdoors and have a conversation. You can't.
0: With... You know what's interesting that you're saying that? Um, knowing who your base is, mm-hmm. is such a powerful sense of safety and security. So, you know, when I got sick back in June and you were in Morocco, mm-hmm. you were in Morocco. And Nia, Mama Nia from Spirit House, texted me and said, "Mama Jackie is upset." <laughs> <laughs> she, I don't think I don't know if you said to her, "What the hell is going on, my Omi Shadé?" But I, I it, it sent
1: was... her a message and I was like, <laughs> "And I was like, okay, what is going on? Why is she in the hospital?'"
0: <laughs> and then you then you called me from Morocco, yeah. and was like, "Where are, What is going on? What is going on?" I need to know what's going on with you, mm-hmm. and it was like it was a reminder with you, and there were also you know there was this mm-hmm. this, this constant touching that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Some of it was physical touch in the mm-hmm. in this in the space of people who came to either the hospital or to my home, but there was also touching that happened for people who couldn't reach me, but they right. were touch you were okay. you t- you were touching me. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of that scene and um we went to Brewster place when the sister's little boy sticks that fork in that light socket oh yeah and oh. she had she gave up she gave up she tapped out she was like the worst thing you know it's like the unimaginable right like the unimaginable has happened and her girlfriend because right. she stopped talking yep. she stopped eating mm-hmm. she stopped washing and her girlfriend brought her back to life so when you talk about mm-hmm home base oh, yeah. or the womb space she pulled her she put her in the tub remember that that's right she put it in the tub
1: and she washed her until she started screaming that's right and I've had women do that mm. me. I mean I, I I mean I could sit here and give so many different examples of different times in my life when it wasn't a tragedy of losing Imani but mm. just some other emotional hurdle, hurdles where folks literally snatched me Mm-hmm. And I think that now we we have kind of bought into this, well, you know, it's not really my business. Mm-hmm. And I keep telling people, if I see Omi crossing the street and there is a, a big truck coming towards her mm-hmm. and I don't run out to pull her back or scream, Omi, it's a truck mm-hmm. and then Omi is laying on the ground and I stand there and with pushing my chest out saying, well, you know, I knew it was a truck. I knew it was a truck. Uh, I, was a truck. Mm-hmm. I could have told her, but it wasn't my place. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my business. Mm-hmm. And I think we have forgotten where our place is. Mm-hmm. And our place is beside each other. Yeah. Our place is, you know, I, I'm grateful that there have been women in my life that have that have like pulled my coattail and said, Oh sis, you know, you, you know we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so when I'm pulling younger sisters and saying, Why are you letting the folk walk up one side of you and down the other? Right. Yeah, I am getting in your business. Yeah. Because I, I know where this is going. Yeah. yeah. Like you you are worthy of joy, of goodness, mm-hmm. of kindness, of tenderness, of being cherished mm-hmm. and not on some condition yeah but I've just I've seen this over and over where people will say things like oh well, yeah I know she was in the hospital why do you tell anybody yeah
0: so how do you shift that energy like I think that one of the things I'm noticing as I'm getting older is the level of intimacy that I can tap into with other women. I'm also hoping that I can tap into some intimacy with a man at some point. But I also am very clear that I'm not sure where my love is gonna come from, romantic love is gonna come from. But I do feel like there's something about a deeper level of intimacy that's possible for you as you get older that feels different than well, it did it when you were younger. Do so, you feel? Do
1: you feel like that? Oh yeah, I mean there's a maturity, but you ask, you know, like how do I shift from that? And you know, I grieve. I allow myself to grieve because yeah. I, I feel this is an injurious moment. Yeah, I acknowledge it as an injurious, injurious moment. I acknowledge that. I embrace that, and I move through that, because I can't live there. Mm-hmm. I can't be there, and I allow other folk to be where they need to be.
0: Mm.
1: Whatever those, if I can call them shenanigans, whatever those, that's not my business. Right. And it's not my business to question it or judge it. I have to just make sure I don't get pulled into it and become depleted by it. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, you talk about intimacy. As I've gotten older, my intimacy with, with all of my tribe has deepened. Mm-hmm. My intimacy with my husband, my, mm-hmm. who's my joy, my mm-hmm. my soul. I don't like the word soulmate, but he's my soul. Why don't he, you like the word soulmate? What's up? What's up with that? Because I see it used over and mm-hmm. over again, mm-hmm. and sometimes um, you think it's used over
0: and over again to the point where it really means nothing. Sometimes it becomes mushy. trite, or mushy. or
1: when people have used it sometimes, and I have. Asked them about that. I was like, well, tell me more about right. how this person is just soulmate. And they were like, well, maybe I don't really know what soul <laughs> means. They don't have an answer. And they're like, well, you know. And I was like, well, I know. But what What do what you does does it mean, mean? to you? Right. So that intimacy, I think, comes again from the the ability to be vulnerable, the ability mm-hmm. the and to be available.
0: What do you mean by that? I'm sorry. I'm making a face because I'm thinking both the word vulnerable and available made my heart. Because just I like remember before I met up. my
1: husband, I was single, but I wasn't available because I had constructed. I mean, we create our own constructs and boundaries and borders, and sometimes it's very un. Unco- and I and I unconsciously I think had done it, and. Imani, it's really interesting. When Imani met my husband, Abdul Latif, she met him like two days after I met him. Mm-hmm. And I remember she said, Mom, can I see you in your bedroom for a minute? And I was like, Yeah. And we go to the bedroom, and she locks the door, <laughs> pushes me on my bed, jumps on top of me, straddles me, mm. and gets in my face. And she just goes, Mom, mm. he the one. I'm like, Imani, I just met this guy, I, mom, he is the one. Do not figure out how to screw this up. You deserve this, He, it's him. And you know, I'm like Imani, I and she's like, mom, trust me, he is the one. Wow. and they had a connection from day one mm-hmm. that lasted until she took her last breath. Mm-hmm. And there were conversations they had had mm-hmm. about transitioning. I didn't, I even knew that they'd had those conversations, yeah. but that vulnerability of being available—I wanted somebody in my life. But I really hadn't prepared to have somebody in my life,
0: and I, I remember, just I don't understand why you always step on my toes when we're having conversations. <laughs> like I don't appreciate you pulling I, out my I'm pockets sorry. in front of
1: people. Continue. But when I was in Brazil, I remember I went to um, a spiritualist for a reader. Uh-huh. Girl, what I did to get that reading? Um, wow. Mm. But she, I asked her, would I ever get married or be in a long term? relationship again and she laughed in my face and she told my friend who translated from portuguese to english tell her to don't ask me stupid questions she knows the answer but she cleans up that mess oh she she's like what i mean she was like what mm-hmm. tell her to clean up her mess <laughs> and, and, and she said and she knows what i'm talking about yeah and then a few months later i was in the grocery store and an elder who i did not know I don't know who this woman was. She knew who I was, but she walked up and she said, I have a message for you. I thought she was talking about from person. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, if you build a nest, if you build your nest, he will come. She said, you don't have a nest here. Okay. About three months after that, a cousin of mine, like a third cousin woman a few years older than me who I really never saw called my daughter said I had a dream last night tell your mama she needs to start preparing for a man who's coming into her life mm-hmm. and the sister died a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. And Eva was like, why she call? And she's mm-hmm. like, okay so I wasn't available Mm. but I bought the house I built the nest I cleaned up my mess I was available I was ready for him to fly through the window and I did As the universe when I met him when he came to my house and I, I don't even want to call it a date but I remember excusing myself from him going into my bedroom Closing the door, and I was shaking and I was sweating like cold sweat. And I said, God, I did not ask you for anybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is this? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do with him? Because mm-hmm. I did not ask you for him. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you met Abdu- Brother Abdul? We've been married for 20 years, and I'm 66. Jeez. <laughs> so, what's that? 46. 46. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, you know the story. We 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 met on a Wednesday and we got married on a Saturday and mm-hmm. we've been together for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Um he's quite magical and so are you. He's he is magical <laughs> yeah. but we were and we often talk about how we met sometimes we'll say, God, wish we had met each other when we were younger. We'd have all you know, we have so we're getting old and yeah. There's so much you're trying to cram into these last years and and I said, we weren't we wouldn't we weren't ready. That's why mm-hmm. we would have burned each other out. Mm-hmm. I mean our lights would have just collided. Mm-hmm. It would have been an explosion. I mm-hmm. said, No. We we weren't ready for each other. Yeah. We we hadn't been we hadn't been porked. I mean, you know, we hadn't <laughs> been in the pride, we yeah. hadn't been yeah. seasoned. And I said, Yeah, we're here. Now.
0: I was gonna ask you a question Mm -hmm. around how do you or how have you called forth love and joy? And like this feels like that's part of that. Like you bought your home, you poured your love into that home. Mm -hmm. Your home is such a beautiful, Mm -hmm. warm space. It Mm -hmm. feels like a big cozy couch that smells like Marrakesh and Morocco. Mm -hmm. It's just so it's stunning. Mm -hmm. And it's also a place where I feel like you can snuggle up and sleep for hours if you want to.
1: Well, spaces and environments and landscapes are very metaphorical for me mm-hmm. for for how I live my life. I love spaces. I love beautiful spaces. And I'm not talking about expensive spaces. Mm-hmm. I wanted my home that when somebody crossed the threshold to feel like they were home, that they were home, and that they felt very welcome. That they felt tenderness there, that they felt safety there, mm-hmm. that they felt love there. I wanted it to be a sanctuary and that's because I needed a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And if I need a sanctuary, want a sanctuary, then I want to share sanctuary. Yeah. And that's why we love to entertain, love having people breaking bread, sleeping over, you know, our friend from Morocco. Mm-hmm. Friends from Morocco come stay a long time. Mm-hmm. We have four people coming from France next mm-hmm. summer. But that's to me, that's what home is. Yeah. Because if you can build, if you, you know, home is very personal and private. There are people I have known for 20, 30 years, and they call me one of their best friends. I've never been in their homes. Mm-hmm. I've never been invited into their homes. Mm-hmm. And I've never asked them why. I'm not the person who drops by unless we have a serious relationship Mm -hmm. and we have that kind of, you can just pop in. And I've always had that with my my true friends. It's like they know they don't need an invitation. Sure. But, you know, home is is major. Yeah. And um, it's not about the value of the house. It's the value of the quality of life that's happening there. It's the value of what home is. Yeah. And it was a home before Abdul came. The energy in my house was purposefully, intentionally, decidedly female. And what terrified me when he crossed the threshold was that the energy, the air in the room changed. And it terrified me. And I knew what it was. Mm. There was no male energy. No male energy Mm -hmm. had inhabited that home. It was mine. And I had to... Extend the invitation for it to become an hour hours Yeah, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of I mean I have girlfriends who have fabulous homes and they're single And they're always talking about they want to meet people and then I, I said, but you know You meet these guys who you really like and then you complain about how they show up in your house but He doesn't put the toilet. seat I was like I was Like if him putting a toilet seat down is elite like but what else No, oh, That's the only thing and he leaves his shoes and socks I'm like, girl, he could be trained to put the toilet sleeve down. <laughs> like, he can be trained to pick up the shoes. I mean, if mean, that's your only beef, like, stop. This is a, like, make it a home. If it's a home, it doesn't matter where he leaves the shoes, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But you're obsessed with this house, yeah. And you've not—I understood when this woman said, "Build your nest," yeah. So, yeah, that joy. It's organic between Abdul and I, and and it's not always sexual. I mean, sometimes we're eating breakfast and he just looks at me and cracks up, Mm. and he just looks at me, Mm -hmm. and we both and we know we we share we know what that crack up is about, Mm -hmm. or or sometimes you know he'll look at me and he'll get very emotional. He's like, I can't believe you're doing all you're doing. I can remember when you couldn't lift your head off the pillow, when I had to pick you up and take you to the bathroom, when I had to bathe you, when I had to feed you, chop mm-hmm. up your food in a thousand little. So, you know, that's the power of that vibrancy.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I can when, see I can see that when you guys are together. Oh yeah. And the, the care that you have for each other and the way you move with each other, there's, there's so much tenderness and playfulness. You know, sometimes you can see people, couples who've been together for a while, And they don't look like they're enjoying their partner. They look like, well, I'm here with them. They don't look like they're enjoying that person. And you and Brother Abdul look like you thoroughly enjoy each other's company.
1: We do. We do. And we have embraced that this is our time. Mm -hmm. That is our time. We have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that we love dearly. But for as long as we can move through the world and get on a plane and go somewhere I mean, we were in Morocco this summer you know and I fell and I got hurt mm-hmm. and we were, we were real clear like and our daughters were having a fit on this side of, mm-hmm. of the ocean you know it was like we don't have that many more years to do this kind of gallivanting but we're going to do it for as long as we can do it right and we also do it at home though mm-hmm. and that's the other thing is we can be on vacation at home all the time in a mental space, if yeah, you know what I mean. I do. We can create that space. That's actually the next question I want to ask oh. you.
0: So, well, there are two more questions I have for you. One is a question around creativity, and then I want to ask a listener letter. So this is a, um, a quick question for you, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you spoke at North Star Church, you said how do you court your muse, mm-hmm. and that an anorexic muse is a dying muse. That's right. And this podcast has been my muse sitting up and whispering in my ear at night around storytelling and the way that I do storytelling. And so I'm wondering, how do you court your muse as someone who's been gifting us with narratives from so many spaces for such a long time
1: what's well, about respectability and having a relationship with your muse so it's funny you're asking me this question because in September I am actually the September speaker for creative mornings Asheville mm-hmm. which is like an international it's it's like TED talks and mm-hmm. it's called creative mornings and Asheville does it I'm speaking, the top the theme is the muse okay. in September. But it's about building, I have relationships with the muse. And, and it's not the same. My muse is, again, a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. It's not always a person. It's a, it's a smell. It's a piece of music that pulls me in. I have had some very unusual experiences with my muse who actually will show up when I'm writing, mm-hmm. and Toni Morrison c- clarified this, I asked her a question many, many years ago in a class I took after her, mm-hmm. and I—I I mean under her—and I said, I asked her afterwards because I was I was too timid to ask in the class, mm-hmm. and I I went up to her and I said, oh, "I am not bipolar, I'm not schizophrenic." I said, "But I hear," I said, "But my characters talk to me," and she said, "She said, you know what being in the zone means?" She said, mm-hmm. "I said, yeah." I said, "Like athletes." Pain. Mm-hmm. She said when you're in the zone, your muse will come. I said, no, I said, she actually comes, she's a woman. I can tell you what she looks like, what her hair looks like, what she smells like, Mm -hmm. what she's wearing. Mm -hmm. I said, she actually comes to my bedroom, plays on my dresser, and gives me these amazing Mm -hmm. things to write. And she said, yeah, you've invited them. So, I think you have to know how to invite your muse. Mm -hmm. And that comes again to being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We are so multifaceted. And we all hear voices on some level and we have to honor the voices Mm -hmm. you know a lot of that is genetic deja vu I know Mm -hmm. a lot of it is coming from an ancestral spirit place but a lot of it is my creativity right you know this novel I've been writing for 20 years is about a little slave girl that literally stepped out of I was at the governor's mansion inside of a room that had a fireplace and she stepped out of the fireplace and told me her story and looked at me and said, you got to write this. Gotta write my story. And she, I said, it's taken me so long to write this because we have, she's a child, she's, she's playful. But I get chapters and she goes away and I get chapters. Yeah. I said, so my relationship with my muse is one where I also, because of this novel, I have trained my muse. Yeah. Because there have been times when I'm like, no, uh-uh. Can't you see what I'm doing? <laughs> Can't you see on visit? Mm-hmm. I ain't writing no poem right now. Girl, you better go somewhere and sit down. Mm-hmm.
0: And she doesn't care. She's unrelenting.
1: Right. Yeah. And I've always told people, the muse is a jealous mistress. Uh-huh. She wants you when she wants you when she wants you. Uh-huh. So you have to acknowledge, appreciate, yeah. celebrate, and listen. And that's why, you know, for my creativity, when people ask me, how do you write? I keep journals. I use my journals like bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes my muse will bring me one line, but I have to capture it somewhere. I write it down, that one line. Mm-hmm. I went to Panama a few years ago, many years ago, 2006, with Renee. And with somebody. Renee, yeah. I took 13 journals. I came back with a manuscript that is now published. Yeah, That manuscript was Breath of the Song. I had all of these deposits. What do we do with, with a bank account? My journals I'm putting in, and then when I have this free time, to like, okay, I'm going to go write. A lot of those journals start talking to each other. Yeah. But when the muse comes, I have to capture what are containers I build for that creativity. So I'm constantly depositing, even if I can't stop the life I'm doing right then, yeah. Like since I've been the poet, Laura, I don't have time to write, yeah. But I have so much writing to do when I finish, because the muse is still whispering in my ear. I'm listening to her, yeah. I'm writing it down. Mm. Thank you.
0: So we're at the end of our interview. We have space again for you to make an offering to the Black Girls Guide <laughs> to Surviving Menopause. We said that we were going to actually put together a physical guide in 2020 of all these different conversations and offerings and I would love for you to offer us something that we can tuck into that sweet space.
1: I think my offering would be, and I think I may have said this before, that we continue to open up our hearts and our homes uh, and our spirits to each other as sisters. that we're very generous and tender with each other and that we continue to make space for mm-hmm. in terms of you know, I know the title is menopause but for me that's metaphoric of just change period mm-hmm. that we make space make room for our own changes and our own transitions and I think that's one of the biggest challenges for everybody all human life is we don't deal mm-hmm. with change and evolution very well. Mm-hmm. But also, how do we kind of become the curator of that change? And I think that's more about what this is about. We're all human museums yeah. and, and we all need to be the curators of those human museums. and And allowing those people that can... You know, one of the metaphors I had for myself when I was grieving was that I was way out in the ocean and a tiny boat but I could see all my family and friends on shore like kind of telling me to come back mm-hmm. and they were concerned for me, they were worried about me and I was way out in the ocean by myself but I knew, I knew I was not going to drown, I was not going to tip over because I could see the shore and everybody was there waiting for me and I think we have to be the ones waiting For the ones who need us to wait for them Mm -hmm. we have to be the ones who ask us to help them push the boat out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you you know what I'm saying that comes back to what does real tribe really look like you know how do we celebrate and how do we grieve with each other how do we hold each other up how do we like today say "Mm -hmm. stop stop you're becoming spiritually emotionally bankrupt so my offering is that we give more and we also help our sisters lift stuff up and out like really I think one of the things that black women are charged with and we don't know what to do with it we're holding so much stuff for so many people and none of it belongs to us
0: Mm.
1: so you know like with all of these celebrations of sisterhood I keep wanting to have, like, a day of deep, of, of, you know, people talk about cleansing, but a serious day of, like, cleaning out the closets. Uh Real closets Uh sometimes. Uh Helping people understand they don't have to carry that anymore. Yeah, It's not just stop. Put it on the corner, tell them to come get it, or or the trash is coming in two days. Right. And be done. Be done with it. But how we help each other to get to that point.
0: I appreciate that gift. Thank you. I appreciate you and this friendship and sisterhood. Thank you. Um, I love you.
1: And I appreciate you. I appreciate this project. It's going to be so significant and vital for so many of us. And it's needed right now. It's the medicine. Thank you, Mama Jackie. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this most recent episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. We want to stay connected with you. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at the Black Girls Guide to Menopause. And we're also on Facebook as the Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause. You can listen to us on several different platforms. Anchor, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please share with your friends and family. Subscribe and give us reviews. That gives us feedback that's very necessary and it helps people find us as well. We also wanna hear from you. So don't forget about the listener letters. You can send your listener letters to decolonizingthecrone at gmail.com. And in the subject line, put listener letter. We'd love to hear your questions and your thoughts about the podcast, questions that we can share with our guests and the people that we're interviewing. And we would also like to know what you would like to offer to the guide that we're putting together for 2020. So once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again soon on the dark side of the moon.